our next song is called Via Miami. This is a very Southern rock sounding song with uh, with like an 80s production. It's kind of weird in that way. This is one that I honestly would normally skip because I'm not a fan of this kind of music. But I, I love Gillen as a storyteller, you know, when he's just riffing on what happened or, or re- relating some memory of the past. He's so great at that. Yeah, I almost never listen to lyrics as silly as that is as a singer. Like I kind of take the whole song in as a as a whole. So I miss sometimes some of the genius of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I didn't love the song when I first heard it. It's still not really one of my go-tos, but I look at it a little differently. I look at it as Ian kind of homage to all the fifties artists that he loved so much growing up Yeah, um, and writing his own fifties tune. Mm-hmm. Here's my, my, my version of a, you know, 1958, um, you know, song for Elvis or for, you know, little Richard or Fats Domino and, and kind of carrying it through and, and, and looking at it that way, it makes me appreciate it more. But the other hand of all the songs he could have chosen to sing at the Royal Albert hall, he chose that. Wow. It's one of them. And I'm like, I remember just being at the time being like, I thought he'd do like Gethsemane or like mm-hmm. something cool off a Gillen album or even, and he, the two songs he picked, I was just like, really? Those are the two that we're going to get? Oh, what awful. Was, what was the other one? Uh, I guess that's why God sing, is singing the blues. Wow. I, it just, I don't know. At the time, I mean, I get maybe not doing Gethsemane, but I, it's like you're supposed to feature something. And, I, and, you know, somebody said like, well, it's supposed to be you as a solo artist. You know, because Roger did, you know, stuff from Butterfly Ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve did stuff from Steve Moore's band. But I just, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I just, I, it just, it re- I mean, and they were good. They both sounded good. Don't get me wrong. Right. I mean, how could you not with that backing band and all the, you know, the horns oh, and the backup sure. singers? Yeah. And, um, and this one, especially with the backup singers really helped make this, mm-hmm. you know, the live backup singers. Uh, and they were grooving to it and dancing to it. But sure. it just not... Like I could have thought of about 4,000 different ones I would have picked over that. Yeah, absolutely. And you really, you really nailed it with the fifties rock uh, feel. I mean, this is definitely a, you know, hop in the the hot rod and head down to the soda fountain yeah. to meet my girl kind of song uh, musically, you know, story-wise. And, and I'm with you. I usually don't listen to lyrics. The, the voice is an instrument to me. Um, that really started when I started getting into Cirque du Soleil music because so much of like 98% of Cirque du Soleil lyrics are complete gibberish. They're just syllables, you know? Um, So I I started learning to appreciate the voice more as a sound, as an instrument than necessarily what the story is. But with Gillen, it's hard sometimes to just not listen to whatever he's got to say as a a lyricist because he's so damn good. Right, or you'll hear a couple words and you're like, what? What did he just say? Now I got to go back and hear what he said. Right. Yeah, exactly. I I think this is a fun song, um, but it's just not a go-to for me. He's certainly not not a uh, common cunning linguist. (laughs) 
He is the master of many tongues. <laughs> there you go. And he's knocking at your back door. Uh, what's what's the song uh, that they did on Turning to Crime um, that's that's like this? It has that same similar shuffle. Uh, I can't think of it now, but it was um, it, it was one word like the the it was another very 50s, you know, hopping in the car kind of song. And I, I don't care for the original version of that song. I liked what Purple did with it, but I was like, um, you know, the the songs where the backups are like, Eddie, Eddie, oh, Eddie, Eddie, that kind of stuff. Like I was never into right. that kind of music. So while I was disappointed no. with some of the choices on Turning to Crime, I actually really enjoyed the whole album. Um, I'm, just, I'm, I'm looking it up as we speak. Uh, not Jenny Take a Ride, was it? It might be that one, yeah. Yeah, Jenny, yeah. Jenny, yeah. Dancing with the blue dress, blue dress, blue dress, dancing with the blue yeah, dress like song. That, and that's one of or the Or it reasons. could be rock rock and pneumonia and a boogie woogie flu. It might have been that one. Um yeah. but I you know, while we're recording this, I'm actually in the middle of doing my four-part review of the the new Bernie Marston box set. And there's a lot of that in the blues, just that I ain't gonna go down there today. I ain't gonna go down there today. I ain't gonna go down there today. It just I can't stand that repetition. It's why I never yeah. got into that style of music. It just drives me nuts. You know, so right, I get it. That's why I never really liked the '50s music. It was almost too simple for me, and I, I, I like a little more progression in my in my music, or at least some more I, interesting storytelling. Yeah, I mean, I I think I pick and I love some of the '50s stuff, but you know, it's the Buddy Holly, it's the Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. um, which some of it's a little like that, but a lot of it isn't. Especially the Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly, had he lived, um, I think would have been the Beatles' a run for their money. It would have been very interesting to see how he would have progressed as a writer and performer had he had the ability to do that. I think I think he had a big impact on music, but I think he could have had a massive impact on music. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. It's a shame. Our next song is called I Can't Dance to That. This is getting back to some some rock and roll roots here. I no I like this song. It's a it's a little different of a pace, a really different sound for everything that we've heard so far. But it's kind of an eclectic album. Yeah, I remember when I first got the album. This is when I was like, oh god, thank god, there's something that kind of <laughs> sounds like Deep Purple on this. I didn't waste my money. Um, but you know, as as I've, it almost sticks out now. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, that doesn't really belong on this album. Yeah. It doesn't have that same relaxed feel. Um, and it's funny when you were just playing it now, you know, what popped into my head was um, uh, in rock um, blood sucker. Just that. Yeah. Um, like almost that same feel. I mean, he sings obviously in a completely different, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't picked up on that. But now that you say that, I, I can hear that. Uh, that's actually really cool. Uh, I like this song. I think it's a good uh, mid-tempo rocker. 
you know, it's it's not a pretentious song. It's not trying to do anything. It's just here's a song. It, and I, I do almost, like in that chorus the but down, but down, down. Mm. I can't dance to that. He sings about dancing a lot. Yeah, throw some stank on it. I think would have <laughs> like just just something a little grittier, and you know would have been would have been cool. But I almost feel like this is a, a track that they threw on at the last minute. Like, hey guys, we're one short. We need something else. What have you got? Yeah, maybe. And you know, I only say that because it doesn't fit the rest of the album so much. Right. No, I agree. Like if you're you're gonna pull the one off that really doesn't belong on the album, yeah. it's probably that one. And I mean there's 13 songs. They really didn't have to put it on, but I think it's a good song. I think it's worthy of being presented. Um, it's just it's just kind of weird placed amongst this collection of, of songs. Um, but they didn't do another album together, so there wouldn't have been any other place to stick it. So right. uh our next song is Can't Believe You Wanna Leave. That actually has a nice little flow to it. I love the way Ian sings the blues. I just don't like the blues. <laughs> like this isn't a song that I would, this is a song I, I skip because it's just, it, the music is so, I've heard it. It's overdone. So many songs have the same progression. There's really nothing interesting musically for me. Um, I just not a fan of the genre. So it, it kind of loses me there. What do you think? I actually really like this one. I didn't, when I first got it, but I, um, I've grown. It was one of the ones when I went back to it that I was like, how did I not like love this? Like he just sings it with such feel and Mm -hmm. you can tell he just loves singing that kind of music. Yeah. And, um, you know, later on when I I listened to like the javelins albums and stuff, I mean, obviously the musicianship wasn't up to the par, but it's like, I would love to see him have done like a javelins album with, good musicians like mm-hmm. like mccartney did when he bet went back into this 50s stuff yeah i grabbed pacey and a few other people like gillen just belting out elvis tunes and 50s tunes knowing how much he loves them to me would be great and i mean this is one of his favorite artists so there's you know it makes sense why he would have picked it but mm-hmm. um it's you know it's a little richard song yeah. uh that uh richard penniman <laughs> little richard uh you know wrote so it's it's you know, it's cool that he got to do one of those. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I do think his voice and his style really does the 50s very, very well. I mean, he just masters it right off the bat. Uh, it's just it's just for me. Uh, so many songs have that same melody and rhythm and the same stop. And it's oh, like yeah. there's just nothing interesting about it to me except for Ian. And um, I'm just so yeah, sick. Doc, Dr. John's piano playing isn't bad. <laughs> yeah, the piano's played very, very well, uh, especially the opening. I really like the opening. Um, it's not a bad track by any means, just not one that I would probably go back and listen to a whole lot. Um, but again, that's just me and my, just I've had it with this, the 50s music. I do wonder if they just found Dr. John like hanging out on the beach or like, hey, you want to play on this or whether they... <laughs> Had to call him and fly him in just for this. Right, yeah. Or if he even recorded it, because by then you could record in another studio and they could just ship the tape and, 
you know, true. Could have done it that way. Yeah. Nah, I don't think so. This this reeks of hey, want to come down and have some drinks? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I could totally see that. I mean, that's that's something right. you would do with Tony Ashton. Like, are you sober enough to play this right now? <laughs> right. Okay, great. Let's get you in the studio. You know. Uh, moving on. So now we're on the, um, the song that made it into, um, oh my God, I'm so old rain man. <laughs> and this is called, uh, I like that. The, I like that. The thing you're having the most trouble remembering yeah. is a movie about a guy with an incredible memory, <laughs> photographic memory. There, there is nothing on this show. If not great irony, I'll put it that way. <laughs> this one is called lonely Avenue. It's not often that you get to hear Ian sing with stringed instruments because Deep Purple was really kind of done with that by the time that uh, In Rock came around. And yeah, you had the concerto. Um, yeah, when they when they've done you know tours with an orchestra, but you don't get to hear him almost just singing with an orchestra. It's like they're there in the background, but this is more of a foreground instrument. I love the feel of the song. I think it's really warm. It's intriguing. It's a little bit mysterious. I dig this track. Yeah, it's a cool version of the song. I mean, um, I think the original hit hit was um was uh like ray charles hmm. um with that song it's uh what's his name wrote it doc doc palmas from the 50s hmm. wrote so many of those hits like uh save the last dance for me and a bunch of others i love that but, song um, yeah it's a great song that and, was and uh, so this that was benny king was the one that made that popular wasn't it same one that did stand by yeah, me it, yep originally i think it was the drifters Maybe and but Benny oh, King was yeah. in the in right. the band and then he went and re-recorded it and I think had a hit with it all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had it with a little more of a Latin feel to it or whatever. Um, boy, we're getting off topic there, but <laughs> yes, the um, yeah, I like I like this and it's I find it. I remember at the time hearing it in the movie. I wish I could remember where it was in the movie and thinking, oh my god, that's he Gillen Richard Glover, like um, you know, in the, being in the movie theater and seeing that. Uh, but I wonder how they came across that song because it, it's, I mean, it wasn't a hit. It wasn't out there. You know what I mean? Somebody yeah. working on that movie had to be like, I got the perfect song for this. Right. You well, know? I mean, because was... why wouldn't you use the, the Ray Charles version? You know what right. I mean? That's the song you were looking for. But I think, I think they were looking for also something that fit the time, you know, like they wanted a, an 80s sound in the soundtrack for that movie too. Sure. So maybe that's why this version of them uh, of it w- was attractive. But it's like when when I was watching Orange is the New Black, and don't ask me why I was watching. I've told the story before. It's It was one of those things where people are like, no, the next season is where it really gets good. Okay, no, the next season is where it really gets good. And by then I was like, well, I just want to know how it ends. You know, so I'm watching, I think it was the second or third episode of the last season. And there's a, a scene where they're in a car 
And I'm, and the song comes on. I'm like, I know this song. It was out of place. So I wasn't, it wasn't dawning on me what it was yet. And it was uh, Night Games by Graham Bonnet. And I'm like, mm. this is, this is the most random thing coming into the show that they're picking. Like, I, I, who came up with the, that this needed to be the song? I love the song. It's a great song, but how did it get chosen? So I reached out to Graham and I said, Hey, congratulations. I just heard night games in this episode. And they went, really? <laughs> they had no idea. Cause the publishers my money. all that. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> they just get the check, you know? Well, maybe they just have people push. I mean, now I'm not as shocked now when I hear things because you know, you just do a quick search on Spotify, you do a quick search on the internet and you hear all these different versions of songs or, you know, oh, hey, this scene's about uh, a cement mixer, type in cement mixer, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, you know, and and something's going to pop up. Boy, that was random. And, uh, (laughs) um, but, uh, but this is, you know, 1988, there was no just like popping on the internet and like searching around. So, I mean, it had to be somebody that was actually aware of this or Mm -hmm. I don't know enough about the business to know this for sure. Maybe they had people out there pushing songs like, Hey, how about this for your movie? How about that for your movie? Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. There was, there was definitely some of that going on at the time, um, but it took an agent or somebody, you know, a publisher or somebody actively doing that. Uh, But it could have easily just been, you know, somebody who was involved with the movie going, Hey, I've I've got a list of songs that you might, you know, you right. might think would work here or whatever, or they'll they'll give their person that's in charge of licensing songs, here's what we need, go find it. And then they'll call their friends that work for right. record companies or whatever. And that was pretty common back then. Uh, yeah, now it's much easier. And I know there are also directors, know. and there are directors who pride themselves on, you know, handpicking the songs for their movies too. So. Yeah, and as a composer, that drives me nuts because they'll put all those songs in the temp track and, and then go, you, we can't afford these songs, so write something like that. And then no matter what you do, <laughs> you can't please them because if they put this in there and right. said, we can't afford this, but we want something like it. How am I going to write something that's going to make them happy when they can't have right. that song? You know, exactly. That's why I hate temp tracks. But that's just me. I know that's a, that's a big battle in the composer world to this day. But you know what isn't it isn't a battle is living in a telephone box. Nice segue. I have to say this is a Roger song that that rhythmic melody that just screams Roger Glover to me. I'm not sure, but what I don't like is the drums and that it's just too, uh, too straightforward for me that. Mm, da, mm, da, mm, da. And they sound really like processed. Just, don't they? Yeah. And it's, I think it's Andy Newmark playing, right? Which I think so. Yeah. I mean, talk about a phenomenal drummer. But I think he's um, playing on it, a Simmons kit or something because that definitely sounds maybe, more electronic yeah. than acoustic. Yeah. I, 
not one of my favorites on the album. Um, and I think that as I was listening to it just now, I thought to myself, if I was to play this for my daughters, they would both think that I was talking about the telephone box as like a little white box that the iPhones come in. Oh, that's <laughs> right. what they would think a tele. That's what they would think a telephone box is. Yeah, they would never equate it with a with a you know a you know an old the old telephone. The uh, boxes, yeah, <laughs> right? The yeah, boots. they would they would be thinking of well, I, I the think, box that the little telephone comes is in. Is it uh, is it Doctor Who, or uh, well, you could you could use the one in Harry Potter when they oh, use the that police, to, uh, the, right? Yeah, something yeah, like Doctor that. Doctor Who's the police call box. The police call box, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a dated reference because we don't. I mean, good luck even finding a payphone these days. Right. So we were actually at a restaurant that had. A, a bank of three payphones in it and wow. they had put like sticks they had put like stickers on them and you know scratched in initials i mean it looked just like the ones that you know mm. were everywhere oh, and nice. at a restaurant where my kids had the best time these are you know we're not talking about little kids mm. teenagers going in and calling their friends from the phone booth because you could make free calls out of them right and yeah. so they were they were hooked up and they were making calls and then i'm like i'm showing them i said hey do you see this thing hanging here it was just a, like a wire i'm like you know what that was for and they're like no is that so you could charge your phone <laughs> like <laughs> no you didn't have a phone that's why you're using this phone like that's where they used to hang the phone book right i said and you'd have to go in there you'd have to flip it open you'd have to go through it go to the yellow pen it said half the time people have ripped the page out that you needed of all the tow companies mm-hmm. or whatever it is you were looking up and yep that's just it's just such a my i mean i get it like why to them it's just a mind-boggling thing but to us it's just like no that was life like what do you mean a map a map was a giant piece of paper you had to figure out how to fold back into a small piece of paper (laughs) right and never successfully did yeah and then if you opened it if you opened it one too many times it just ripped in half (laughs) exactly (laughs) and hopefully it wasn't on the route you were taking you cautiously opened it a section at a time trying (laughs) to limit the amount of sections that you (laughs) open yeah uh, I, I'm really glad I grew up in, in the time frame that I did because I, I've seen from, you know, when video games weren't around and we didn't have Atari to mm-hmm. everything that we have now. I've I've lived through that progression. I know how to add in my head. I don't need a cell phone to go grocery shopping. And I, I can appreciate that. But and, but what I wonder is for like your kids, when they get to be our age, what the hell kind of world are they going to be living in? Right. Technology is advancing as quickly as it is. I can't even begin to fathom what their world is going to be like. I'm pretty sure they'll be speaking Chinese. It could be. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but I think I think this is a, a good song. What I like about it is the the rhythmic melody of the verse. It feels like it's in an odd time signature, but it's still in a straight four. Right. I that, really that, like that and way and it and throws and it on. Yeah, yeah, that that is that is probably the best part of the song for me. Is that and that's what feels like a Roger Glover thing to me. Absolutely. Yeah, just seems like something he would write. Uh, So our next song, we've only got uh, four more. Our next song is called I Thought Not.
This is such a classic Gillen type song. First of all, I love how how his skills as a harmonica player have really grown. He's gotten really good. But this to me is is you know I'm on uh, an Aerosmith podcast with Corey Morissette and, and John Mariano, and there are so many Aerosmith songs where I feel like this is after dinner. We're all sitting on the porch. We're all stomping our foot, or we have like a, a washboard to scratch or something. We're all just sitting around doing a song while we're waiting for the coffee to brew for for pie or whatever. Uh, it's a good song. It's very Ian Gillen, but another, you know, just kind of another bluesy shuffle song to me that is really weird on an 80s sounding album. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely sticks out. I'm not a huge harmonica fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably rate it just slightly higher than the kazoo on songs. <laughs> the share kazoo? Uh, yeah, I just, I'm not. So, and this sounds like so many other things that he's done. And it's funny that you mentioned his ability as a harmonica player, because I think that's why the song is the way it is, is he has to keep it in the key in the range and the tempo that he can play to. Mm-hmm. So he plays to his strengths. So he wrote the song to play to his strengths. Yeah. Um, but I did comment to John and Nate when we were at the deep purple concerts that I felt like he had gotten better since the last time I had seen him. Like he had, you know, when he's playing darn lazy, mm-hmm. it didn't just seem like the typical little like runs that he does. It, it was like slightly stepped up. So mm-hmm. um, maybe he's been working on that and it's the off time. Um, yeah, that could yeah, be. this one, this one kind of a throwaway for me doesn't really need to be there. I mean, like it's yeah, it's always nice to have a shuffle on an album, but it's like, okay, so we're getting 80 songs, we're getting a rock song, we're getting a couple of blues songs, a little southern right. rock. Like this is a really eclectic collection of music. Which is honestly why I kind of like it, is mm-hmm. because it is all over the place. I do like that. Yeah. Um I like music that I can be in a lot of different moods for. And, you know, this is probably one of those albums that I would be more likely to put a song on a playlist from it than mm-hmm. I would be to sit down and listen to it from beginning to end. Like yeah. on, you know, on my, you know, mellow hangout on the beach, I might put clouds and rain. If, you know, like, you know, like a fifties type, like driving, I, you know, I might put one of the, uh, you know, the fifties tunes on there, but mm-hmm. um, hard album to go from beginning to end with any kind of, um, dislocated could become disjointed yeah yeah exactly it's like i feel like hearing this song or this style of music right now and you could pick a lot of different things on the album but yeah for for the album from beginning to end um maybe on a long car trip but other than that i would probably just pick and choose which is what i do i just pick and choose like i want to hear this or i want to hear that yeah me too um now uh the the lyric she came in through the door starting with she came in through the door is really interesting to me because anytime I hear that, I immediately think of she came in through the bathroom window by the Beatles, <laughs> which I, is one of my favorite Beatles songs. I just love that whole, uh, you know, that, that whole segment of music there. Um, but that, that just, and I'm like, that's a completely different song. Nothing like this whatsoever. So but focus that, back on the would, song, you know, on the Beatles, it would be her head cracking off the floor as opposed to her high heels <laughs> right? clacking yeah. on the floor. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. The, uh, uh, the name of the song though is I Thought No, correct? I Thought No, yeah. Okay, because I think you said I Thought Not, and I'm like, I actually like that better. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> it, it, it is. I uh, I thought, well, it's my, for some reason, my file is I Thought No, N-O-4, and I don't I know no why idea. it ripped that way. 
don't know, but it's whatever. I just thought I kind of liked when you said I thought not. I'm like, I kind of like that. Yeah, that's, I might a, that's a cool use title. That yeah. yeah, I might use that. Feel free and you don't even have to give me credit, but I'll take any royalties <laughs> that you uh, that you get from right. the song. So speaking of sitting on the beach, uh, our next song is called Cayman Island, which I know is not going to be a favorite of Rich's. This is the most Rastafarian I've ever heard or will probably ever hear Ian Gillen sing. Uh, this is probably one of the least favorite things I have ever heard Ian Gillen or Roger Glover record. I would put this up with uh, their remake of Roadhouse Blues for worst thing ever. All I can think of through the song is, you know, Welcome back to Jamaica. Only $4.99 for an all-inclusive two-night, three-night cruise. Yes, come back to the <laughs> Cayman, Cayman Islands. I mean, it's just awful. Awful. There's no redeeming quality in the song whatsoever. Wow. I actually like the song. Um, for me, I, I like the the way that the music well, really more the the rhythm of the instruments in the verse, they don't stay on the the count. They'll go, they'll start before the count, they'll go past the count, but they're not like one, two, three, stop, four, five, six, stop. They're like, they start before the one and after the the four. Uh, I really like that because it just feels so displaced and and um, kind of like disorienting, which, which I like. Um, I like the vocal style of it. Um, the words are kind of weird. But um, yeah, I, I I always liked this song. Um, it was one of the first ones I heard because I think it was on the backside of uh, She Took My Breath Away, if I remember so right. So that is, that is the best thing about this song is that it was not actually on the album. It was a uh, B-side. Yeah. And only added later as a uh, bonus track. Yeah, I honestly, the only way I would even give this song any credit is if it was, um yeah, when we were down there, we wrote this for the uh, Tourism Bureau to... <laughs> You know, to use in their commercials. And I'd be like, all right, well, that's all right. It's kind of catchy. The Cayman, Cayman Islands. But that's it. Like, that's the only redeeming quality I could find in this song. I just, yeah, I really don't like it. Or we got back to the studio after our 12th Parrot Bay. Yeah, but I mean, even like the lyrics, like I just, I haven't, obviously I never listened to the songs. I don't like it. Right, yeah. And just the forced listening, hearing him say like, you know, with one eye on the coral reef and one eye out for the girls, like mm. really, really. And come on. Yeah. It's uh, I it's, don't know. It's, it doesn't, there's no cleverness to it. There's no, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I can see, I can see what you mean. For me, it's just a fun song. Like if I just take myself out of the element, it's just like a fun little beach song. You know, um, I can see it in a movie do, doing like a beach montage or they're just arriving in Morocco or something like that. And, uh, you know, having. This yeah, be yeah their... actually, you're right. Maybe with a movie where they couldn't afford the um, the Bob Marley song. So like, <laughs> could you write us something that sounds like a Bob Marley song? I'm still not happy with it, but I'll use it. Right. Yeah, it still fits enough to make the film. Work. <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, I could see some potential licensing opportunities for it. Uh, cocktail actually would have been a, a great um 
you know, for for the scenes on the beach, this would have been a great um, piece to put in that. Um, yeah, I still only see it as a commercial late night commercial for the cruise yeah. of the Cayman Islands. Yeah, the, the, in fact, I was just I was just in the Cayman Islands, and the stupid song popped into my head because of it, and I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's move on to uh, another very, very, probably the most well-known cover on the album, The Purple People Eater. Now, I know this song from some crazy Halloween album that I had as a kid, and this was the the original version was on it. Uh, I really, you know, this is another 50s feel song. But what I love about this one is the way Ian sings the chorus. I love this song. Um, to use uh, Deep Purple podcast terms, it's a five for me. Mm-hmm. I, I know it almost sounds funny, but I just think they... They nailed it. They yeah. nailed the spirit of the song. His singing is great. That bass line that like, uh, and the, it just really works the whole thing. Um, it's been on our Halloween playlist since I've had Spotify. My kids love it. My wife loves it. Everyone, every time we play it, people are like, Oh, who's that? What version is that? Um, it's just so good. It's so fun. You just mm-hmm. tell they're relaxed and um, you know, the story behind it, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. but it's it's uh it's just fun they just have fun with it you know it's not pretentious it's not oh we have to do a serious cover of this like it's a serious song and musically and everything that all the the check boxes are checked right but it's just it's just done in such a fun way and the layered vocals in the chorus they that really sells it for me yeah i mean there's just nothing i don't like about it it's so great and that story about them recording it and they were having trouble you know the the old days you had to listen to the record and get the lyrics there's no looking them up on the internet yeah and get gillen was struggling a little bit or glover they couldn't quite figure out some of the lyrics so they called up the publishing company in new york and they're like hi you know we're wondering if we could get the lyrics to uh you know um purple people eater uh, and, the, and the lady like just rattled them off she's like oh what part aren't you getting and she just <laughs> rattled off and roger was like he's like wow he's like what a publishing company you just know the lyrics to the song and she's like oh well i'm, I'm mrs sheb woolly she's the she was the wife of the guy that wrote the song and recorded the song <laughs> they just thought that was he's like that must be kismet we have to do this song that's yeah. why you know that's why it was meant to be right um, and it, it is such a great story too that that's who they got on the phone i love that and what are the chances i mean they could have called at any time of the day and gotten anyone right you know yep um, but it's a it's a great version of the song. It's really upbeat. It's fun. It's it's uh, it's a party song for sure. Yep, no doubt. You know, and, and a great way to uh, to get in the Halloween mood without without being dark. Like you can get into right. the fun Halloween party feel, or you can get into like the dark, creepy feel right. of Halloween. Right. This falls on the Ghostbusters side of things and Thriller and right, know. absolutely. And to round out the album, our last song and probably most interesting song in the album is simply called Chet. Hey, 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 Chet.
and he's already stealing lyrics from Cayman Island, which is Rich's new favorite song. <laughs> uh, this this range for him is really uh, almost back to the Born Again album from Black Sabbath. He's really singing in that uh, higher register, really pushing, uh, you know, the the uh, intensity in it. It's a weird song because the the first you know thirty seconds is just studio noise, and then uh, that then the synth pattern comes in. I like the feel of it; definitely very eighties. Uh, another one I could see, kind of like a streetcar montage of people driving That's around. Funny at you night. say that. I was just going to say that that synth sound reminds me of uh, the Neutron Dance. So all I could oh, think of, yeah, all I could think of was Eddie Murphy, like you know, running through L.A. downtown L.A. and Beverly Hills Cop or something. Yeah, because it has probably that same kind of it. sound, you know. That was uh, um, that was Pointer Sisters, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. I I like the song. I think it's got some good energy to it. Once you get past the the silliness of the beginning, sure. it's it's actually a pretty good song. And I don't remember whether this is the song or that he has a song he did John. Kind of a similar thing where mm. like he says John at the beginning. And but one of the two is about the guy who taught them how to scuba dive while mm. they were in the Cayman Islands. And I was backstage at one point and they introduced me to him. And I'm pretty sure it was Chet. He's like, Hey, this is Chet. And I jokingly said, Oh, the one the song's about, like, are oh, there, you know, he taught us how to, you know, guy we know from the islands who taught us how to scooter. I said, oh, the guy the song's about. And he goes, yep, that's me. I'm that Chet. And I'm like, oh, I was kidding, but <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Was he a nice guy? Wicked nice guy. And yeah. like, not, I don't, I don't think like really a purple fan. I'm just somebody who came across them on the islands and, you know, they hit it off as friends. And yeah. And that's... I mean, like I said, I might have it backwards. It could have been John, but it's it was one of the mm. two. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the story that I, I was looking for it earlier and I couldn't find it, but I was pretty sure that the story I had read on Chet at some point, somebody had said it was the guy that taught them how to scuba dive. So I'm pretty sure that would be, him. that'd be the right one. Yeah, because I don't know, John, what album is that on? Uh, I want to say it's on a, it might be on a Gillen. Is it's that a, a Toolbox it's, maybe? It's a, no, it's another bonus track. Off oh, of, okay. I thought, I thought it was this, but maybe it's something else. Something. Uh, if it is, it's not on the version that I have. No, it's not on. I don't think it made the the CD, but I want to say it was the same thing as, uh, you know what it was? It was the B-side to South Africa. Oh, okay. So that would have been a Gillen solo song. Yeah. Yep. Oh, another fantastic song. Um, South Africa, very powerful song. Um, yeah, I like this song. I, th I think it's pretty good. I think it, it ends the album well. It's nice to end it on some energy. If you're going to have an 80s, a somewhat 80s styled album and you're going to be using the synths and stuff, kind of like, like uh, Dancing in My Sleep. You you need something that's going to be kind of upbeat and make you want to go. Um, I'm energized and I want to hear more. I, I need to hear more music right. right now. So I think this is a, a good song to end on. But overall, I really dig the album. There's a couple songs on here, you know, just because it's the style that I I'm not really into that aren't my favorites. But overall, I think this is a pretty good album. I agree, and and for those exact reasons why it's a good album, because um, much like Perpendicular. There's so many different things on it, so many different styles that you can, you know, okay, I don't like this one so much, I'll go to this one. Mm -hmm. And as we both said over the years, different songs have appealed to me differently as, right. as my taste, my tastes have changed, my tastes have grown, um, you know, things I've become more tolerant of, less tolerant of, or I see the value in the musicianship or the the way he sang it, or, mm -hmm. you know, especially now as I, I get older and I realize like, yeah, I really, I got to change the way I sing. Like I can't 
power through a note the way I used to and, Mm -hmm. you know, try to find, you know, different, you know, volumes or or feels that I can sing in that are more comfortable to me where I can still get that emotion across. And, and I mean, Killen crushes it on this album. Yeah. You know, the songs, you know, that the few that we talked about where he sings in the, in the softer register clouds and rain and, um, is just, uh, is just him at his best. I feel like there was a freedom from for them uh, getting away from from the rest of the guys and all the stress that was going on in Purple at the time and just doing something fun, doing whatever they felt like doing. And I think that's probably why the album is so eclectic, because it wasn't like they said, let's write an album in the style of today's music or the music that's kind of going out of phase before it's too late to do it. Because by 88, um, we were really getting out of this kind of music, you know. Um, this was really more mid eighties than anything right. else. And so, uh, but I think it was more like, you want to do this song? Sure. You want to do that song? Sure. And and it was more like whatever they wanted. And I think that's why it's such mm-hmm. an eclectic thing because they, they wanted to get away from all the restraints and concerns and everything else and pressures and what, let's just do f- songs that make us happy. And I think the two of them have a mutual appreciation society that, um, you know, goes very deep and isn't necessarily there for the rest of the band. And I'm not saying that they don't all respect Roger Glover or, but I just don't think they do to the, either they don't show it. You know, I think Blackmore's famous for that, you know, saying nice things about Gillen and Glover when they're not there, but I don't think it always comes across. So you can imagine after being in the studio for months working on an album that was yeah. just hard to work on and people shooting your ideas down or saying, no, we're going to do it this way. Or, oh, it's good enough. It's close enough. Or I don't like the mix you did on that or whatever it be, may be mm-hmm. that it must be so refreshing just to be sitting there and just having someone going like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that great idea. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, what? let's try it. We'll see if it works. Like, mm-hmm. the, I mean, that's that's what allows for their creativity. I mean, sometimes that doesn't work. Right. I mean, there are definitely times that I think the fighting in Deep Purple or the, you know, the battles going on cause them to sound the way they do. Same thing with the Rolling Stones and the fights being, you know, or John and Paul pushing on each other. It's mm-hmm. what pushes them to make them better. Yeah. But you can also get something like this and perpendicular when everyone's kind of pushing in the same direction and like taking all the rules out of it and just saying, let's do what, let's see what happens. Let's just see what happens. Right. And I think a a good example of that would be, who do we think we are? Where Richie's kind of on part of the album and he's kind of not, and John Lord really had to pick it up in in a lot of spots because Mm -hmm. they were so disconnected at the time. Uh, Gillen and and, uh, Blackmore didn't speak once during that entire recording session. And it's so hard for me to fathom a band writing great music together and not and just being so disconnected yet musically they can still come together. It's such a weird thing, you know? Yeah. I'm not, I'll be honest. I'm not sure I could do that. If I, yeah. you know, anytime I've been in a band, I, I need to feel like they're my friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? I need to feel like, and not that we don't ever fight or disagree on things, but you know, when push comes to shove, we're all family, we're all friends. And yeah. usually when that ceases to happen, I, the band ceases to happen because I don't want to, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. But you, um, you don't have uh, promoters and, and management and contracts well, coming it. to you and People going, uh, here's what you have to do, or here's what you're going to do. Right. How do you know? No, <laughs> but, but the way I look at that is I get that. And I know yeah. that that's what creates the tensions, but also to me, that's where you pull together as a band right. and stand strong and be a single unit. But I mean, those guys, you know, those people you're mentioning are experts at 
sticking a wedge in between everybody and divide and conquer. That's what they do. That's exactly. how they know. And they know how to do it. And and uh, I'll sum it up by by saying what Mick Box said when you know with all the transformations that Uriah Heep has had over the years with all the people that have been you know fired from the band or passed away during the course of the band. Um, he, he said, I don't want to be in a band with anybody I wouldn't want to have dinner with or wouldn't want to hug. Yeah. You know, I, I think it, it takes the tension away when people disagree. I mean, you have to have a producer to make final decisions sometimes. And, and I think Bob Ezrin has really done a great job with purple to say, if they're arguing over, should it be in this key or that key is like, I like this, but we're doing that. And then that's it, you know, which is right. a, which is something a producer should be able to do. And I don't think Roger, as producing Deep Purple really had the full reins of a producer. And I think that's why he didn't want to do it. Uh, he's right. in the band, so he doesn't have that outside perspective. But I, I agree. I think if you're if you're going to be in a band, you either look at it as a job, which it's hard to be creative in that manner. You know, it's hard to write naturally. And people can tell when you're writing specifically to be liked or you're writing because it's what you feel. And I think that's what's always made Purple successful is that they write what they feel and they don't compromise on that. Um, they have to sometimes with, when the record company makes them. I mean, that's how Black Knight happened. Right. But for the most part, they write what they write. Um, but I think, you know, if if it's going to be a business, it's only going to last so long as a business because the fans won't enjoy it. Sooner or later, the bottom will fall out. So I'm glad they're they're where they're at now. I'm glad that they're happy. Um, I'm glad that there were tensions that caused this album to happen because I think it's a great album and I'm glad we have it. I'm sorry that they had to go through what they had to to get want to get away and make it happen. But I'm glad we have it as a historical document in the world. I, I think it's a great album. Yeah, I thought during COVID we might get another one. But, mm. you know, I thought maybe those two would do something over COVID, but we didn't get it. I'm um, just going back to Bob Ezrin and not that he has anything to do with this, but um, my only complaint about Ezrin, although I probably have more than one, but the big one is I think he's a little too quick. Sometimes I think he's a little too quick on the Nope. That's good. Nope. We'll use that like that. And the ideas that could be flushed out a little bit right, and make things more interesting. And they end up just being kind of a pedestrian rocker. Like, Oh, it's got a riff and a solo and a, and they don't go as many places as they could. Mm. Um, Cause like the last yeah. three albums, there are songs that I think are incredible and classics. And then I think there's a lot of filler. Like it's not, there's not a lot in between. They're not a like, mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's a good one, but not a great one. I just feel like they're on the opposite ends, you know, like just killer tracks like birds of prey or all the time in the world. Mm. Um those are two uh, of my favorites, by the way. I, I love absolutely right. both of those songs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just things like that. And so, but that's a small complaint. I mean, I'll take, I'll take that, but it's also not his fault. You know, as we've discussed many times, I've heard you say it in your show is we're not dealing with eight song albums anymore, seven song albums yeah. anymore. We're dealing with, you know, double that and sometimes more than double that. And, you know, how do you, how do you keep the quality up? I, I don't see anything wrong with Deep Purple putting out an album with seven tracks, seven great tracks. Yeah. Anymore. I mean, John Hyatt does it now. He'll he'll just put out, you know, seven or eight tracks. A lot of bands are just putting out like EPs, four songs at a time. Five songs. Mm -hmm. Just do that. Like, yeah, I, I, the days of albums are kind of dead. Mm -hmm. You know, do two or three EPs of great stuff over the course of two or three years and then put them all on one CD and release it as, you know, the EPs or whatever, you know. I right. Don't, I don't know, because they're not making money off it. So what difference does it really make? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, most bands are making money off tours and merch. And since touring has been really, really slow, especially for British bands, they're, they're not really coming over to the States a whole lot right now. And I don't know if that's still an insurance issue because of COVID or, you know, exactly what's going on with that. But I mean, Purple just is just did a couple of dates over here because they were gearing up for that Florida cruise, right. um, which they did last year. Uh, again, no no U.S. tour last year at all, other than those dates. So you guys got to see some of the only shows that they played here. The last last of the Steve Moore shows and the first of the McBride shows. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Except for the big festivals that they were doing over in, in right. Europe, like Wack and Well, I'm sorry, I meant in the U.S. In the States, yeah, sorry. yeah, absolutely. So uh, hopefully they'll come back to Vegas at some point because I'd love to see them again. Um, I, I'd hate to think that the last time I saw them would be the last time, but I will say... If that turns out to be the case, it was a hell of a show. Seeing them at the House of Blues, I was right, right. in front of Roger uh, the whole time. He, I, I always, I, I always feel uh, weird being in the front because I was watching Rogers playing so intently, just being mesmerized by how busy he is in these songs. And I'm like, I hope he isn't looking at me, going, "Oh my god, that guy's really creepy." He's just staring at me the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, he can't, he can't see that far. Well, he was throwing picks to to the two girls that, that were in front of me because I was in the front and I put them in front of me because they didn't want to be bothered by other people. I'm like, well, just stand in front of me and I'll I'll make sure, you know, nobody pushes you forward or anything like that. And so he was throwing picks. To, so I know he could see us, but I'm so self-conscious that I'm like, God, he's probably thinking I'm some creep that's just staring at him going. You're Roger Glover, <laughs> but I was just I was just so mesmerized watching him play because it's it's really a. He's not a standard bass player by any means. No. You know, but Rich, no. thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank I know you. We, we ran a little bit longer, so I apologize for that. But that's what happens when good friends come on the show. Uh, we'll we'll have to have you come back and we'll do that second Firm album. I think that'd be a lot yeah. of fun. Well, we'll have to see what the feedback is. Maybe people hate me. Maybe people love me. We'll see. Well, for the two <laughs> people that listen, I'm sure they'll like you just fine. <laughs> John, John, Nate, do I get the thumbs up? <laughs> John and Nate, is it okay to keep stealing Rich listen, away from we, your show? So, so we know that those two will listen. I'm, pretty, yeah. I'm relatively sure they'll listen, and I, I probably can get my brother to listen. All right. Well, I would, <laughs> I appreciate the the increase in my numbers. <laughs> Thanks so much, well, Rich. Thanks. I, I hope you Thank have a you. great rest of your day. Uh, this is a great album. I really appreciate your input on it, um, and I like that that you're, you know, that you're honest about it too, because I, I feel like sometimes. And and that's why I like talking to people that that are on other podcasts or have podcasts because I feel like we're more likely to not just sugarcoat everything. We're we're pretty honest about here's how I mm -hmm. feel about it, and that's that. You know, I can like right. it or not like it, and that's okay. And I always feel bad because you know, I mean, I consider Roger a friend, so I hate to say anything negative about anything he's ever done. But uh, you know, having had a conversation, he truly appreciates honesty, and I doesn't want people. Hey, that sucks or this sucks. But I mean, if you really have a valid opinion or something that you feel, he is very interested in hearing it. Yeah. Um, that and that's that's a real down-to-earth person. Excuse the pun, but a real down-to-earth mm. person. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Rich. Definitely come back. We'll thank we'll you. do some more stuff. I know we've we've talked about having you on when I get to a couple of the Deep Purple albums too. So I think that'll be a lot of fun. But I'm looking forward to to checking out the firm's album again. I really love the first one. No reason I shouldn't give the second one another chance. And I, haven't I haven't listened heard to it in, in like 30 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I haven't listened to it recently. I mean, I've listened to a couple of songs that I'd be interested to hear it again. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Rich. Have a great rest of your day. And we'll, and we'll have you back on soon. As for you guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning into another show. We will be back next week for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Cheers. Cheers.